This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. We're finishing off this series today. This series has been called Shades of Grey, okay? Uh, we know the, um, the dangerous mental images that might ensue when you hear Shades of Grey, but uh, don't be a sinner. Stay away from that. Uh, don't go into the dark. Stay in the light. We, um, we call this Shades of Grey because we've been talking about some areas that we, we need to be okay with a little bit more gray in. Uh, we started talking, off, uh, talking about um, having cultural empathy, right? Understanding that not everybody comes from where we come from, uh, starts off with the same foundational experiences that we have, even lives life the same way that we do now, depending on where you're born, when you're born, what family you're born into, what ethnicity you're born into, all these different things create your culture, and instead of expecting other people to uh, just kind of assimilate with our culture, we need to have empathy, understanding, and, and really dig in to other people's experiences and, and where they're from. And then we talked also about political empathy. This one's a, a hard one for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. But we talked about how dep- uh, no matter what side of this you stand on, no matter where you stand, whether you really care about one side or not or you don't care about any of it, uh, we all need to have empathy in that as well. Just because people don't believe what we believe, feel what we feel, or um, stand for different things that we ourselves like to stand for doesn't mean that everybody's a schmuck or an idiot, right? It just means that we're different, and that's okay. And instead of, uh, um, you know kind of belittling each other and and kind of creating walls and borders between each other. We just need to understand why we all arrive at the conclusions we arrive at. We also talked about uh, having empathy with people that don't believe like us, that don't have the same spiritual ideologies as us, respecting, uh, developing an understanding for those things and how those people get there. Sam used the imagery of uh, taking a sheet of paper, drawing a circle in the middle, and labeling that circle Jesus. And instead of uh, itemizing a list and saying, hey, in the priorities of my life, Jesus needs to be at the top, and then family, and then work, and then all these different things, depending on how you prioritize, it doesn't work like that. Jesus is at the center, and everything else orbits around that. And our faith journey may look different than somebody else's faith journey because they're coming at it from a different side, but we're all working towards the same center, which is Jesus. And so today, uh, I get to end it off for us. Instead of talking about a leg of um, belief or culture or ideology, um, particularly, I'm actually going to talk about the other side of the coin. So I'm going to start off. I'm not just throwing it out there, but I want to ask a question. So um, you can raise your hand. I give you permission because I ask questions in first service all the time, and they go. And I want an answer, okay? So uh, raise your hand if you've ever had a conversation with somebody who refuses to be wrong. Welcome to America, right? Uh, who, who has to be right about everything, right? Now, small, small, um, you know, Sub, subtext here. I'm sure we've all been that before as well, okay? We've all been the person who doesn't want to be wrong, right? We're all experts at the things that we dub ourselves experts at, right? If you don't believe me, go look at somebody else's Facebook, okay? And look at your own. We're all experts when we want to be, okay? So I know that we all kind of played that role before, but for the sake of commonality today, let's just be the victim, okay? Because that's fun to do, okay? Let's just be the victim. So we are the ones who aren't trying to be right in the conversation, but we know what it's like to have those conversations with people who have to be right, right? What happens? You start talking to them. It could be about Twinkies and ding-dongs, or it could be about politics. It could be about, uh, you know, the new, you know, Avengers movie that came out, or it could be about the green It could be about anything, right? doesn't matter how big, small, serious, not serious it is. There's people that just refuse to be wrong about it, whatever it is, right? And so you get into it, and and it's kind of weird because it doesn't matter how much information you bring to the table. It doesn't matter what personal life experiences you bring to the conversation. It doesn't matter how often you fact check or how much real data or information you have. There's always some loophole that leaves you at a deficit for rightness or correct information, and somehow the other person's always like, no, 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 you're missing it, you don't get it, you'll get there one day, right? Like there's just le- this level of enlightenment that you and I don't possess 
when talking to these people, right? And so naturally what happens is you'll find yourself doing one of two things, or maybe both in, in progression, right? Um, you'll either avoid these people altogether, right? You'll, you'll see them and you'll be like, <laughs> right? No, not doing that today, right? I'm going to stay safe today, right? Or you find yourself avoiding any kind of meaningful, deep conversation that could find itself going down one of those alleys because you just don't want to hear it. You just don't want to get, you are, you know, and then when it gets there, you, you're like, hey, I didn't know. All right, come on. Get, come on. I didn't know where this is going. I didn't, I already, and then you just shut down. You let them do their thing. You let them be right. Okay, great, cool. See you next time, right? Like, ultimately, we find ourselves just exhausted, and we don't want to continue it. We don't want to entertain it. We don't want to be in those conversations with people like that anymore. I bring that up not to, to shame us or shame anybody else. I bring that up as a parallel because I think, unfortunately, again, another, another small subtext here. When I say this, I mean at large, big picture, Western, westernized culture. I think the church, capital C, uh, has made ourselves that person in conversation. I think we've made it our mission to clearly define what God is about and what God is not about. We've kind of subtly made it our mission to define what God is like and what God is not like. What God favors in politics and what he doesn't favor in politics. What he favors in people and how we treat each other and what he doesn't. What he finds moral and what he finds immoral. What he finds permissible or non-permissible. We have made it our mission to give such clear distinction of our God, the God of the Bible, and everybody else's God. Our actions as believers and everybody else's actions as not real Christians, or not Christians at all. We find ourselves in this culture, and if you, if you haven't been around or if you haven't been part of church culture very long, maybe you're not privy to it, but myself uh, being in uh, friendship, relationship, proximity to other churches, pastors, ministers, church people, gone to church for how long, church in different places, different states, all this stuff under different leadership, I've heard more than anything people explain what we are not about and what the church is not about more than what God is in favor of. I've heard people give more explanation, or, or not explanation, people back up or qualify or validate their opinions by summoning God's approval by saying things like, well, it's pretty clear the God of the Bible wouldn't be for this. It's pretty clear when you read scripture that God is not about that. Yeah, it doesn't say this specifically, but if you use reasoning, if God's not okay over here, then he's probably not okay over here. And we do a whole lot of generalization and broad stroking and all these different things. And then at the end of it, we tack on our opinion but put God's name on it because we're part of a tradition now that you and I have inherited of not encouraging a journey, a question, a discovery, a walk. We're encouraging tidy, neat, compartmentalized, clear-cut, bordered, regulated faith. I've been made to feel in certain areas, I don't know about you, but if you have doubt, you can't reveal your doubt because that's weak faith. If you have questions, you can't ask the questions. you got to silently kind of work through it because you're, you're not allowed to question this. God is a God of certainty. God's not a God of doubt. God's not a God of fear. God's, and we have all these different things being called at us and told to us about who God is, but not a lot of it sounds like God. Not a lot of it feels like grace. And so the problem with that is that being a part of that system for so long, you and I, whether we want to or not, we adapt to that. We evolve to that. We shift our perspective to thinking in terms like this. So now we do things like we hold to a, a viewpoint or a belief or an ideology or a segment of faith that we really like and we're really comfortable with. And it might even favor us, but nobody else. But that's okay because as long as we're good, we're good, right? And, and we hold to these things and, and we get so comfortable and so well acquainted with them that if we ever have to step outside of that and entertain anything else... We're out, man. I'm not about this. I'm not, I'm not for it. So, so we, we get so certain with the things that we like, 
that are convenient, that feel good, that, that are comforting, that are neat and tidy and packageable and presentable. We get so ingrained and indoctrinated to these things that it even becomes kind of the mission of a lot of people to, to know every a- angle of the conversation or argument so we can defend it. So we have impenetrable faith. If anybody comes at you with any question or any doubt or any other ideology, you got to be ready to give an account of what you believe in. you got to be like a spiritual ninja, man, because if they come at you and they get a question that stumps you, oh, boy, man, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What, is, what am I going to do if i got to go home and lay my big old head down on my pillow and ask myself a deep question about who God is? It's going to rock me to my core because i got to be right. The sin of certainty tells us that we got to stay put, right? It tells us to drop an anchor where it's convenient, where it's comfortable, where we know it and the scenery is familiar. Today we're talking about what we're going to call the sin of certainty. This takes place when God uses other viewpoints, other conversations, questions, people, conflicting ideologies to grow us and mature us in our faith. But we insist on sticking to a version of faith that keeps us at a standstill because it's comfortable. We make it to a certain point where we feel like we have a good grasp on who God is and we drop anchor and set up shop there with no intention of moving beyond that. And then we even discourage and condemn others who do venture beyond that because it doesn't look like us. So today what I want to show you is pretty simple. It's pretty easy, pretty straightforward, okay? I want to show you how it's not only arrogant to try to pin God to the mat, But it's useless, it's pointless. It's a waste of your time and my time to try to nail God down to the mat in a way that we can project out onto others. We can project out onto God himself. We, it is very possible that you and I have done this or could do this at some point where we become so uh, indoctrinated, so, uh, uh, such a fan of a particular way of doing things or viewpoint or ideology that we project out onto God and now in our mind's eye, We've defined God instead of letting God define himself to us. And so my goal with you today is to show you how pointless that is, how dangerous that is, how unhelpful to the well-being of your faith that is. So let me add a little caveat here before we go further. I don't want anybody to be like, oh, so you're saying God could be anything I want him to be? No, okay? Let me say this. There are parts of who God is that we can be certain of. Here's my qualifier for that. You want to know how to be certain about an aspect of who God is? Look at what God chose to reveal about himself. God, there are certain aspects of who God is where he said, hey, listen, there's a lot of things that y'all aren't going to be able to get. If I show you this right now, it might actually make you kind of mad. I have a tendency to do that with people when they don't get what I'm doing. So there's a lot I'm not going to show you, but... Here's the parts that I want you to know. Here's the most important parts of me that you need to know so that you can imitate, but also you can get the essence of who I am. So there are aspects of God that he makes available and known to us, and those are the certainties of our faith. A couple offhand would be uh, love. Scripture not only tells us that God is love, that God operates in love, that he moves from a place of love, the most pure, unadulterated kind of love you could ever have, right? But we also see it in God's actions. What did he do? The the, the thing that sets him apart from everybody else in history. Jesus, as God, came down, put on our form, took the cross to redeem us to right relationship with him, right? He did that self-sacrificing love for us. So God reveals in a very obvious way in all of human history that he is a God of love. In that, he also demonstrates that he's a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness, a God of redemption, a God of reconciliation, a God of unity, a God of peace. These are all things that God has revealed about himself in very obvious ways. You look at one of his, his, his hardcore homeboy disciples that's ready to scrap for him. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's a ride or die. He hops up and he's like, I'm going to war for Jesus. And he's like, hey, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, baby. I don't, want, I don't, I don't seek violence. I don't want violence. Put that down. That's not my way. That's not the way of the kingdom. Other kings rule by force. I don't rule by that. I bring peace. Jesus has revealed these aspects of who he is. Those are the things you hold like this. We call those closed-handed. That's who Jesus is because he revealed it to us. You can take those things to the bank. You can bet on them. 
but I'd say far more things than we like to admit should be held like this. This is where it gets uncomfortable for people. We don't like God to be like this. What do we do with this? When we have to hold things with an open hand and go, oh, man, this is how I see it today, but tomorrow it may look a little different. In five years it might look really different. This isn't comfortable for me. This is shaky. This is, this is doubtful. This is, this is hard. I can't do that. So we tend to put those things away and we focus on the things that we can hold tight to. Or we take those things that are like this and we treat them like they're things that we hold like this. And that's where we put up dividing lines. That's where we bash people. That's where we disqualify people from faith because their faith doesn't look like ours because they don't take things as serious as we do. They don't see things that are so obvious. If you just read scripture, that, that they, don't, they don't see that. They must not be in their Bible. They must not care about God's word. They must not care about what God says about, right? And, and we treat things that are this like this. That's where the trauma, that's where the trouble begins, right? So here's what I want to show you. How pointless that is, like I said. Uh, I got a few scriptures I want to show you. This is straight out of the word of the big man. Isaiah 40, verse 28 says this. This is a CEB version because when, uh, when Bob was using it, I keep wanting to call you Paul, but that's a compliment. Uh, when Bob was using it a, a few weeks ago, uh, I went in my Bible app, like, sitting right there in service, and I was, like, comparing the translations. I was like, yo, this is fire, man. So I went and, you know, did what a good boy should do, and I bought a new Bible because Bob told me to. So <laughs> Isaiah 40, 28 says this, Don't you know, haven't you heard, the Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond human reach. So already off rip, his understanding far exceeds and surpasses anything you or I will ever, 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 ever begin to scratch the surface of. And so when we approach the situation and we're so sure that we can assert God's motives to it and God's opinion to it because we have our limited understanding of it, we're already starting off on a bad foot. See, we have situational understanding. We run those things through our filter of life experience, which is one way. God has absolute understanding of all variables, all sides, all time, all things considered. So maybe his judgment of it might look a little different, given that his understanding is much different than our understanding of a situation. His understanding far exceeds yours or mine. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this. This is a prophecy, right? But it's spoken from God's point of view, and he says this. He says, my plans are not your plans. Let's get this straight. You might have an agenda. That is your agenda. And if you have good, right, righteous motives, hallelujah, that's great, right? But just because you have an agenda that you think is noble, don't just put my name on it because my plans are not your plans. My ways are not your ways. Your way of doing thing, things is not my way of doing things. We're different. I'm, 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 you're, we're, we just, it doesn't work that way. He says, your plans are not my plans, your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my plans are higher than your plans. That's not that far, right? The heavens. We, we think, okay, maybe, like, so from earth to the sky. He didn't say the sky. He said the heavens. You can't catch an airplane to the heavens. It's another dimension. It's another, it's another place altogether. As far removed as the heavens are from the ground that you stand on, that's how high and how different and how vast the chasm is between your logic and my logic. Your ways and my ways. Your plans and my plans. And so imagine the arrogance of us carrying all of our experience and our limited understanding and our knowledge and our agenda into a situation. And then we put God's name on it. How, how wrong could we be? How dangerous is that to do when God is literally going, hey, hey, I, I, don't, I don't operate anything like you. So what you're doing right now, that's not even my process. The way you see things like this, not even the way I see it. The, the conclusion you arrived at, not my conclusion. Don't put my name on this. I'm different. I'm beyond that. You can't even begin to grasp that. 
That's what Psalms 147.5 says. It says, our Lord is great and so strong. And it says, God's knowledge cannot be grasped. It's out of our reach. It's, it, we, we can't even stand on our tiptoes to get that can off the top shelf. It's beyond us. We're spinning our gears trying to make it seem like we know a little something that gives us the upper hand in a situation over people. And then because it's convenient and it gives us authority, we say, well, God's word says this. God says this. The God I serve says this. The God of the Bible says this. He wouldn't condone this. He wouldn't condone that. He would. And God's like, hey, lay off, man. You don't need to speak for me. I spoke for myself. So on one end, you have this side that's like, yo, God is out there, man. God is just mind-blowing, far beyond our reach. Some scripture even uses the terminology that says inexhaustible. You're just, there's just no way with your energy and your focus and your drive and your information and your education, as lofty as it might be on this planet, there's no way you can expend enough time, resources, or energy and manage to even come close to where I'm at with this stuff. So don't. So on one side it says that's that, so what do we do? We just quit, right? We just don't try. What's the point? No, actually, the complete opposite. So on one side it talks about how, how far beyond God is, and, and that's kind of the magic of our faith, is that there's, there's never an area that, that you can go into and, and, and just run into a wall. You're not going to find a, a dead end with God. God is too big for that, right? And so instead of just saying, well, I'll never figure it out. God's ways are beyond my ways. I'm done, right? Like instead of doing that, what, 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 what do the writers of the New Testament encourage the church and believers to do? Hebrews 6, 1 through 3 says this. Stop. Stop everything you're doing. Don't, don't bother anymore. No. Let's press on to maturity by moving from the basics about God's word. Let's not lay a foundation of turning away from dead works, faith in God, of teaching, uh, of teaching about ritual ways, washing with water, laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. Let's not lay that foundation of all that stuff all over again. Wait a minute, wait, wait. He just said everything that's important to Christianity, though. What are you, why is he saying let's not do that? Let's not talk about resurrection from the dead, leaving your past sins behind, your old ways behind. Let's not talk about that again. Let's move beyond the basics. He's going, hey, listen, you're really comfortable with with this little bit that you know. And that's great. I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of you. You got that. You got that down pat. Actually, you got it down too well. You're actually using that to, to hold back other people. So instead of, instead of staying there and being stagnant, let's move beyond the basics. These are your core elements. God already revealed this. That's one of those certainties, right? That God re- resurrects us, gives new life, brings us from our old ways, brings us, brings us out of that old way, that old mentality of doing things, right? God does all that. We have this foundation, right? Now, we, now, we're, now we're outside of that eternal ju- We're outside of all these different things, right? Like, cool. Let's not do that over and over again. You don't need to come in and hear me talk about that, and the next week you come back and I talk about that, and the next week you come back and Sam talks about it. We don't need to do this. How about we move deeper? Let's move on. Let's press on to maturity. Let's go into this more. Let's dive a little bit further next time, and let's keep working this thing out so that we don't stay here, but we grow in maturity. Colossians 1, 9 through 10 says this, because of this, this is Paul, and he's, talk, he's, he's writing to another, another church, another congregation, another group of believers, and, and this is what he says in his greeting to them. Because of this, since the day that we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. And this is what we ask for you. Imagine praying for somebody, and this is your prayer. Not like, God, take care of their family and bless their babies while they're at school. I know there's a lot of peanut allergies. <laughs> Paul says, we've prayed for you, and we haven't stopped praying for you since the day we heard about you coming to faith. This is what I pray for you. Asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this so that you may live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way. Check this out. By producing fruit in every good work and growing. 
in the knowledge of God. Let us press on to maturity. I pray that you would live lives worthy of the Lord because you're growing in your knowledge. You're moving, you're maturing, you're growing, you're expanding, you're right. And so on one side, God is unsearchable to the human mind. There's no way we'll completely know him. But on the other side, don't stop. Keep going. He's a big God. There's much to experience in him. There's so many depths about him, right? Have you guys ever seen a, um, a, a, like a, a really shallow swimming pool? Nobody's here as soon as swimming pool. You've seen a really shot, and you're standing on the edge, and it's like four and a half feet, which is like how tall I am, so I can barely touch that. But you're look, I, mean, I was going to say Carmen, but <laughs> you can see the bottom, right? And what does it say right next to it? No diving. Why? Because if you back up and you jump in head first, you're done. Pow! You're out. You know where you don't see that? Go to an Olympic swimming pool with like the 15 diving boards that like go like skyscraper high, right? You know what I'm talking about? Y'all seen those pools? Okay. You never see a no diving sign there. You want to know why? Because those pools are built for diving. You ever stand on the edge of one of those and look down? It's so deep that like you can see gradients of blue going down. It gets, it's like light blue, then kind of blue, then kind of, and then it's like purple all the way at the bottom. And that's not even the floor. You're looking down and you're like, I can't even see the bottom. You want to know why? So if you go to the highest diving board and do like your 85 different flips, don't belly flop, holy cow. But, (laughs) and you end just right and you point your trajectory straight down, you're going to go so deep. You're going to be down in the deep blue. You're going to be down in the purple. And guess what? You won't even be close to the bottom. That's what they're saying here. God's ways are deep. They're so far down, you can't even measure the depth. But you want to know what? That's not so that you'll sit there and put your feet in the water and be like, that water feels good. I like it. I like sitting right here on the edge. This feels good for me. You're jumping in? Don't, you're not allowed to jump here. Why would you jump? Why are you jumping? Who's jump? We're not supposed to jump in. Sit down and put your feet. That's what we do. Anybody tries to do anything different than us, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Ta, 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 ta. That's not what this is about. It's about getting your feet wet. And they're like, wait, no, no, no. God's deep. So you know what you do? You go to the highest diving board. You do the best trick off that boy that you can, and then you go deep. And then you get out, and the next time, try to go even deeper. And the next time, do a cannonball, do a jackknife, do whatever you can. Try to get as deep in there as you can because guess what? You're not going to hit the bottom. God is deeper than all of that. So instead of sitting here with your feet on the edge and being cool with that, go deep. Experience something. Feel what it feels like down there. Get in there and move around. Ask questions. Let people ask you questions. Don't feel like you need to have an answer for every question. Let that question rock you. Let you be okay with doubt for a minute. Let it take you into it because if you're not, you're going to sit on the side with the pool noodle the whole time. That's not what it's about. Go deep. So the important thing for you and I is not that we develop our own personal theology and belief so well that we never doubt again. That's what some people want to do, right? We want to eliminate all doubt because doubt's just, it's scary. It's like, I don't know what I believe anymore. I'm not mocking anybody. That's automatically my voice when I talk to myself. <laughs> Even at home, I'm like, I got, a, I got an addiction. <laughs> it's not that we develop these things so well that we're guarded so that nobody could come in and sway us or get us thinking about, I'm going to be a theological giant because I'm going to have all the answers and be ready for the, and I'm going to go evangelize people, and I'm going to all these things that the church says, it's like, I'm going to be a hero of the faith. Okay, cool. That's not what it's about. What it's about from what I get, what I gather, is that God is big, dude. God, listen to me. God is big. If you believe in God this morning, you know what you believe in? You believe that you have been made aware of the same person, the same deity, the same personal force that created everything. Let that sit on you for a second. Everything. He made it all. 
He sustains it. Scripture says, all things work for him, by him, and through him. He is the source of everything. And, and, and then on top of that, to just make things that much like sweeter, as big and massive as he is, he still de- desires and longs for a personal relationship with you and me. And so that shouldn't make you want to, I'm going to learn, like, I've been with Carmen since, uh, since high school. We got together in high school, right? And um, here's, what, here's, here's the difference. How dumb would this look? If me and Carmen started dating, and I sat down with a pen and paper, and I was like, okay, answer these honestly. Favorite color? Favorite food? Favorite dessert? Favorite character from Friends? Trick question. I don't like Friends. You're dumb. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. I like Friends. I'm kidding. Maybe. Unless you don't like Friends. If you don't like Friends, I don't like Friends. I'm a bandwagon friend, okay? Um, what's your favorite sports team? What was your GPA all through high school? Why? No, I'm kidding. Uh, how, many, how many siblings you have? Where's your mom from? Where's your dad from? Right? Like, favorite athlete? I got all this stuff. And then anytime I was with Carmen, all I did was pull out that sheet of paper and go, still blue, right? Still, uh, still have one brother, Roberto? Okay. Um, cool. So that way, next time I get into a conversation with somebody, I'm like, yo, I know Carmen. I love Carmen. I go, oh, you know Carmen? What's your favorite color? What's her? Where was she born? See, I know Carmen better than you do. You don't know Carmen. I got all the facts about Carmen. That would be dumb, right? Here's really what it is. Me and Carmen got together, and the person she was at 18 isn't the same person she is today. Me and Carmen got together. We started a relationship, and over time we've gotten deeper in that relationship. We've changed a little bit our dynamic of our relationship. I've learned things about her and unlearned things about her. I'm still learning things about her to this day. We're on this this journey of a relationship together. How dumb would it look if I reduced our relationship with a living, breathing, active, personal person to a fact sheet that I could defend and use to rule out everybody else's knowledge or relationship with them. But we do this with Jesus. It's not what this is about. It's a road trip. You guys ever been on a road trip? Raise your hand. Yeah. I like road trips. I don't like them as much as Carmen. Carmen loves road trips, and it's like the annoying I love road trips, where like she plans it out like a month and a half in advance. Like she knows every steak and shake and Waffle House we're going to stop at. I'm like, I really got to pee. And she's like, eh, we can't stop until exit 48. You got to hold it for 30 more miles. Like, you know, like she's, she's that road tripper. But, you know, you go on a road trip, and and it's cool because part of the fun of a road trip is that you get to, like, stop off at, like, these random places and, like, see things, right? Like, there's, like, a scenic overview, or there's, like, a rest stop that, like, has an Auntie Anne's pretzel, so you got to stop there, you know what I mean? Like, you don't stop at the one that has Subway because not all Subways are created equal, right? Like, you go to Auntie Anne's because them boys, I don't care where you are, especially if you're in Pennsylvania. You find yourself in Pennsylvania, go to Auntie Anne's. Trust me. They're from Pennsylvania. They're just better, right? And so you go on the... Forgive me. So you go on this road trip, and when you're on this road trip, what do you naturally do? I got a pain. You stop off. You're at the gas station. You get back in the car. You keep going on your route, right? Oh, man, that looks pretty. Let's get, you got, let's get out and take a picture real quick. Family picture. Right? Like, cool. Man, this is, you might stay a little longer at those. Wow, this is beautiful. Yeah. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, cool. Get in the car. Let's go. You keep going, and you do that. That's the point of a road trip, a a journey, right? There's a destination that you're going to, but you kind of take your time and take things in, right? That's what faith is. But but we've confused it, and we think the destination is having all the right thoughts and correct views of who God is. But that's not the destination. You know what the destination actually is? Eternity. His presence. And so you and I, as long as we're on this earth, we're on that road trip. And you're not at your destination until you're standing in front of him in his presence. And then you're like, oh, wow, 
Now I get it. But until you're there, you're on this journey. You don't arrive because you reach a certain theology that really feels good to you, a certain ideology that really feels good to you, that everybody else needs to get on board with. You arrive when you're in God's presence. So until then, you're on this journey. But again, we like to do this. We drive, we get to a rest stop that we like, scenic overview, this is sweet. Ooh, <laughs> I like this. They dress like me. They talk like me. They vote for who I vote for. They uh, listen to the music I listen to that doesn't have any cussing in it. They, uh, they only watch Netflix shows rated PG-13. This is great, I like this. This one feels like me, cool. Hey, uh, honey. Uh, take the lock off the U-Haul. We're actually just going to build a house right here. We're going to get somewhere that we like, that feels good, and we're going to set up shop here, and we're not moving. That's what we do, right? It's like we're on this road trip, we're on this journey, yeah, 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 but we find somewhere that really feels good to us, and we just decide, you know what? Screw it. We're not going to finish. We're going to plop down right here because this is good enough. So we build there, we make a home there, somewhere that's only meant to be temporary, taking the view, taking the sights, learn something, then keep moving, let it add to your faith, but don't let it be the finality of it. But you stop there, I stop there, we make that our home. And then when other travelers come along on their journey, and they stop, and they're like, wow, this is pretty, this is cool, wow, okay, let's get in the car and leave. You're like, whoa, 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 we need neighbors, we need neighbors, we got this, but you could put your house up, right? And we can all be the same because you don't need to keep going. If you keep going, that's weird, right? Like, if you keep going, you might, you might end off on, like, a detour. You might be in error then. You might be a, oh, look at them. They kept going. I wonder if they're even really Christians at this point. I wonder if they're, they like what author? They voted for who? They're not really believers. They're a heretic. They're, we do this. And now it's not even a, a, a stunt to your faith or stops your faith from growing. Now you're discouraging oh, other people from journeying and growing in their faith because it's uncomfortable for you. It's not how it's supposed to be, guys. God says, hey, I'm big. Let's journey together. So my suggestion is that you don't ignore God's eviction notice from whatever rest stop or scenic overview you're at this morning. Don't ignore God's eviction notice. He doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want me to stay where I'm at. He wants us to grow. He wants us to get out and climb that ladder and dive again. And to keep plunging deep into who he is. The sin of certainty shorthand definition is selling God short. Selling God short. God's saying, hey, I see where you, where you are now and I'm proud of you. And you're starting to get this, but... Step here. See? Nope. No, come on. Like, let's go a little bit further. Yeah, but see, I've been where I am for so long, and my church and my parents' church before that, and uh, the translation of the Bible I read and the preachers I listen to and all that, they're all right here. So I got to stay right here. That's the sin of certainty. God's saying, Come with me, and you going, I don't look like somewhere I need to be. I'm good here. The sin of certainty sells God short, and you box him in by refusing to step into the fullness that he has for you. For centuries, uh, Jews and Christians actually didn't believe like this. They didn't believe that it was a final conversation statement definition that faith needed to be. Actually, to them, faith... Um, Faith was a conversation. They actually believed that it was a more spiritual thing to sit with other people that don't believe what they believe and talk about it. They would sit together and they'd be like, oh, you don't believe that? Well, I believe that. Why don't, why don't, you, why don't you believe that? Not like, why don't you, why, why would you ever think, like, no, f help me understand. Like, that's interesting. Why don't you believe that? Wow, man, that is, that is, that's true. I never thought about it like that. Well, here's why I think what I think. Um, I think that because, you know, and then they go, oh, man. I didn't. They believe that there's something spiritual about that transaction right there. 
They believe that God meets right there in that mystery and that doubt and that conversation. And that's a time of spiritual communion. They believe that God is active in that. So they would openly like sit together and they would make it a point to converse and discuss and ask questions and entertain doubt and entertain mystery because they got something that we don't. That's the magic of faith. It ceases to be faith when there's certainty. You want to backtrack a little bit, ask yourself why Adam and Eve got in trouble in the garden in the first place. Oh, listen, listen, listen. I have a way that you can know everything that God knows. Ooh, that sounds like something I want. The sin wasn't eating the apple. The sin was aspiring to know what God knows so we can make judgments that only God is supposed to make. But that is what the Western culture of the church has made faith. Let's try to figure out, we read this book not to know Jesus. We read it to figure out the black and white, the knowledge of it, so that we can make judgments about, against, for people, for politics, for society, so we can make blanket statements to rule people out, to define who the others are, to define who's inside and who's outside. That's what we've made this, and guess what? That's what Adam and Eve did in the first place. God's like, yo, you don't need to have access to this. That's only for me. I'm the only one who needs to know who's right ultimately, who's wrong ultimately. I'm the only one that needs to have full understanding, full knowledge, full comprehension. I'm the only one that needs all of that. I will give you whatever parts of that you need, but I'm the only one that has that absolutely. And they got removed from the garden We're trying to venture too far into something that was only for God. But our system for church culture today is built off the back of trying to do something that is only meant for God. God said, yo, I'm not not someone you can pin to the mat. I'm not someone that you can paint an an accurate picture of. I definitely don't have blonde hair and blue eyes, that's for sure. I'm not that one. You know who I am? I'm I'm the one who came in love and gave my life for you because I love you. I'm the one that cares about people every single time over every system and process and policy you could put in place. I'm about people. Other people, other systems, other gods build their kingdoms off of the back of what people can do for them. I build my kingdom inside people that I came to do something for. So how dare we make it the mission of the church to do something that was only meant for God from the start? We're just like our mom and dad, Adam and Eve. Here's my, uh, my punchline for you, my super preacher punchline, and then I'm done. Faith is not about punctuation. It's not about the correct ending that you put and have the mic drop so everybody else is wrong and you're right. And people are like, dang, yo, he know a lot about God, man. I'm trying to get like him. It's not about punctuation. It's about conversation. For centuries, faith has been introduced and reintroduced to people by pondering life's biggest questions that only God has the answer for. By carrying on a conversation. You want a history lesson, go look at what happens when people try to punctuate things that don't need to be. It gets bad for the church. This is a conversation. Your job and my job as Christ followers is not to have mic drop moments that convince people to follow Jesus because that's the God of the Bible. Let's work. Our job is to carry on a conversation that intrigues people and invites people in to ask questions that bring meaning to their life that we know God has the answer to, but there still needs to be a question. It's about conversation, not punctuation. So I have a three-step process to this, just like uh, Sam and Bob did. Mine's a little different. This Israel, I'm not joking. Israel like Jerusalem, get it? Israel, okay. Throw it up there. Here's my three-step process, ready? Come on. Where are the Julia Roberts fans at? Anybody here part of the Oprah Book Club? Just kidding. DBA said no. That's a yes. You totally are. 
You're the only person that even answered that. Okay. Eat, pray, love. I'm for real, though. Like, you know, Carmen told me to do it because it would be, like, funny. I think she thought it was funny. You guys didn't, but whatever. You know. Happy wife, happy life, right? That's? Okay. Okay, so, wow. Uh, eat, pray, love. So eat. Here's how I finessed it to be spiritual. Eat. Continue feast. Get it? Come on. Come on. Feasting, right? Eat. Okay. Continue feast. So good. Yes, it is. God cooked it. He's a chef. So eat. Continue feasting on God's word in God's presence. If I could add one more uh, segment to that, I'd say God's word in God's presence with God's people. Even if they don't agree with you. The thing that's sufficient to a Christian's diet is not the right scriptures to back up your right thoughts. The thing that is sufficient is that the more time you spend in his word, in his presence, and with his people, you'll grow in trust, dependency, and faith in him. And that is sufficient for you. So continue to take in God's word. Continue to contemplate and wrestle with it. Even the parts that you don't have answers for and don't, don't look so pretty because they're in there. But God is in that. Get in God's presence. Pray, meditate, consider, ask him to show you new things, uncomfortable things. And do it with God's people. Let other believers who are rooted in Jesus challenge you. Because God wants to use that to grow you. Pray, my second one, pray. Ask Jesus to guide your journey and to give you discernment. When I was, I was kind of going through this a couple years ago and I started like really kind of trying to dig into this, I, I'd reached the roadblock because everything that I'd been taught and the culture, the church culture I'd been raised in, I kind of hit a roadblock with because I was encountering things and thinking things and experiencing things that totally flew in the face of all that and I didn't have an answer for it. And so I started trying to work it out, piece it out. I started reading different authors that I probably never read. I started listening to podcasts. I would swore in two years before I'd never listened to because they're heretics and they were all, and, and, I, and I started taking in more information and my prayer the whole time because it's scary. If you're in a place where you've been raised and steeped in a tradition, a viewpoint, a worldview, a mindset for so long, this, this whole process is scary and I don't want to take that away from anybody. It's hard. But what I would do in that is I would pray and I'd say, Jesus, this is literally my prayer. Jesus, I want to know you. Not what people say about you. Not what people think you are. Not, I want to know you as real and authentically as I can know you. So as I go into this information, as I consider new things, as I ask other questions, as I wrestle with scripture differently, God, hold on to me. Be my anchor. And even if something hurts, but it's helpful, give it to me. Bring it to me. But if it's harmful, take it from me. I'm trying to get as close to you as I can. So if it's not for me, get it out of here. But if it's for me, I want it. And that would be my prayer every time. And there were things that I'd come across that I'd be like, okay, I think that that fundamentally doesn't jive. But there's a, a lot of what I read that I was like, yo, I got to change some stuff. There's times that I just cried and wept because I've been in ministry for a long time and I taught a lot of wrong, what I truly believe now to be wrong according to the heart of God, wrong, that I just carried on because I, I was told to. That's how it was. It's scary changing these things up, but it's necessary. Ask God to guide you. Remember this, there's a difference between something being, like just because something's painful doesn't mean it's harmful. Just because something's painful to you, to your ego, maybe for a time to your faith as you know it, doesn't mean it's harmful for you. If it's harmful, we don't need it. If it's helpful but it hurts, we want it. My last one, love. Love, love, love. Love people regardless of where they're at in their process. Once you cease to love people for where they're at in their process, we create that others and that them and that everybody else mentality that we don't need. Matter of fact, 
as much as the, the writers of the New Testament encourage us to go deep in God and to continue growing in, in, in faith and knowledge and understanding, one of the very next things that they command us to do almost every time this conversation is brought up is they say, but also grow together in unity and togetherness. Bind yourselves together with one another. If you have a disagreement, don't let that disagreement create division. Be in unity and let all things be at peace. So don't let a disagreement with somebody over what they believe or a politic or, or, or a viewpoint or a hot topic issue polarize them and remove them from people that you love and you care after and that God is going to use to do something in your life and maybe you do something in their life. God says, listen, go deep, venture off, take that journey, but also grow together with one another. Take in God's word. Get in God's presence. Be in community with God's people. Pray. Ask God to guide you. Hold on to you as you go through the hard parts of faith. And then love everybody regardless of where they are in their journey. If we all do that for each other, we're good, right? If you care for me and you have grace on me no matter where I'm at and I do the same for you, we've just achieved one of the biggest commandments in the New Testament. Growing together in unity togetherness. That's what the church is. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, I love you. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.